The New Testament shows how the disciples often questioned Jesus throughout his ministry. Well, we know how that story ends. So why do we keep making the same mistakes today that the disciples did? Hey everyone, it's Karen G from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. You can listen here every week to catch up on all of our latest sermons, and we hope that what you hear inspires you to want more so that you will continue on your own personal faith journey. We are on part eight of our sermon series called Breaking News, the Gospel of Mark. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's great to be with you again today. Thanks for joining us, however you're joining us, either at home or uh, as you're traveling, whatever that looks like for you. We're so glad that you made the time to be with us this morning. And we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark called Breaking News, that just like breaking news that comes across your TV screen or your phone, this just in, everything has changed because of what Jesus has done. And we've talked a lot about this over the last few weeks, and hopefully it's giving you a good overview of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means to us. So I want to encourage you, if you missed any of these, to go back and to watch or listen. Uh, you can watch this like you're watching now on our YouTube channel, or of course, you can listen to our podcast, which is just simply the audio form of the sermon for you to listen to. And I know that there's some of you out there who like to cut your grass. It's almost that season, right? <laughs> or go walk the dog and listen as you go. Now listen, I think it's important for us to recognize that not all breaking news is the same. Just because it's news and it's this just in doesn't make it equally important as other news that we might get. For example, this just in, I went to the salon, dyed my hair today. <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, it's breaking news in a way. As opposed to, let's say, for example, the war in Ukraine. Both might be surprising. Both might be new information that we didn't know before. But not all breaking news is the same. It's a matter of impact. The higher the stakes, the more important the breaking news. It's like, uh, oh, Dad, there's an ant ant hill in the backyard. Oh, okay. No, no, Dad, there's an ant hill in the backyard. Okay. The stakes are a little higher. It makes it more urgent, more concerning, more impactful on my life. And of course, what Mark is saying is that this is the most impactful news anybody could ever hear in human history. The good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be asking, because this comes up a lot, a question that comes up is, well, I mean, listen, Pastor, I get that this is breaking news, that Jesus is different, or we believe in Jesus, but Let's just take a step back. Aren't all religions basically just saying the same thing? It kind of doesn't matter which one you pick. You're sort of saying the same thing. Like, we believe, you know, doing good for one another and a basic morality that we agree to, that there's much more in common with all the major religions of the world than there are differences. So, I don't know. Is the breaking news of Jesus really above and beyond all other breaking news? Are the stakes really that high? Is there more of an impact on my life? And I think it's a fair question. I really do. Uh, I never penalize anybody for asking a question like that. It's a question that I asked at one time in my life. And I think in some ways 
we all kind of need to wrestle with this question. But, you know, although there are certainly similarities between major religions, especially when it comes to, you know, how we ought to be treating one another, how we ought to behave in this world, and uh, religious participation, what does that mean? Uh, there are a lot, lot of things in common. But if you really examine different major religions, you discover quite quickly that they are really quite different. I, I, now, this is just real quick. Um, you know, I'm not going into depth, and they all deserve more depth than I'm going to give it here. But let's say, just for example, Buddhism. Buddhism, what's the goal of Buddhism? Enlightenment, which is ridding your body of cravings, any sort of sensual desire, food, drink, um, you know, any desire for material possessions. Like you're, The whole point is to lose yourself into nothingness. A Zen Buddhist, for example, if you were to ask them, you know, what did you have for breakfast today? He might say something like, the sky is blue and green grass is everywhere. Why? Because he's trying to empty his mind of rational thought and just allow whatever comes out to come out. That's like a loss of self into nothingness. And Buddhists <clears throat> don't worship Buddha. That's a, a, a misconception because they don't worship Buddha. But he was the example of how to achieve enlightenment. And so through what you do, right, your religious habits, you too can achieve this state. Now let's compare that, say, for example, with Hinduism. Hinduism is all about escaping the cycle, that we are all in this karmic cycle of reincarnation. And if you're experiencing pain and suffering now, it's because of the life that you lived previously. And the only way out of that to achieve nirvana and get out of that cycle is to practice, you know, religious participation in a very specific way. You have to do these things and you worship infinite forms of the ultimate being that they call Brahman. And again, intimate or infinite forms. So it could be person, places, and things, right? Temples and animals and pe people. And um, it's all forms of this uh, ultimate being. And it's all about, again, escaping the cycle, and achieving nirvana. Now, if we look at Islam, what's the goal? Paradise. And how is that achieved? Through religious duties and good deeds, right? Religious participation. You have to do very specific things in order to achieve this. They, of course, worship Allah, so it's a monotheistic uh, religion like ours. They worship Allah, and Muhammad is the final prophet with sort of the authority of the final say. But if you look at all these three, for example, without Christianity, what do all of these three religions have in common? Well, whether it's nirvana, enlightenment, or paradise, it's about what you do to earn your status with God. That's the thing that they share in common. And then... So are all religions saying the same thing? Not really, but here's a common point, is that all of these that aren't Christianity are all about what you and I do. Like, how do we work our way? How do we climb the stairway to heaven, so to speak? And then we get Christianity, which, what's the goal of Christianity? Eternal life with God. And how's that happen? Through faith in Jesus Christ, who we believe was God incarnate. And he gives us forgiveness of sin. And it's not about what we do, it's about what God does. If there's a stairway to heaven, we don't climb up it, 
God climbed down it in order to be with us and to forgive us of sin and to promise resurrection. Based on what Jesus did, we have a hope of resurrection as well. So you'll see kind of quickly that Jesus is different than these other religions. And that's why Mark believed this is such breaking news. Whatever hope that you had for your life or afterlife was based on you. And you and I know that we're not good enough. We can't do it perfectly. We're going to mess it up. The chances of us messing it up are 100%. (laughs) But what Mark is saying, this is the amazing thing, is that that's all been remedied by what Jesus did on the cross. And all you and I have to do is to have faith. And if you have faith that the kingdom of God has broken through in Jesus, then you have hope. You have hope of the same victory that Jesus experienced can be yours and mine. Everything about this breaking news and the stakes could not be any higher and the impact any greater that all who confess that Jesus is Lord will be saved. So back to our Gospel of Mark. Uh, when we last left off, you know, previously in Mark's Gospel in chapter 8, we were at a place where we realized that both the disciples and the Pharisees were suffering from the same heart problem, a lack of faith. And in a way, the mistake that the disciples and Pharisees were making were that, just like Buddhists, Muslims, and Hindus, it was all about what you did to earn your place with God. It's like they were making the same exact mistake. They were being just like a lot of other religious ideas. Now, of course, we know that uh, Islam came after Christianity. But but the point's the same, is that it was very legalistic. Legalistic is a way of saying it's about what you do, climbing that stairway to heaven. I know, you really want me to bust out the Led Zeppelin song every time I say that, but (laughs) I can't not think of the guitar riff every time I say this. Anyway, I digress. And then we had this great sort of climactic moment in towards the end of chapter 8 when Peter is confronted with Jesus, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And it's like, yes, you got it. Finally, somebody understood that the answer is faith. Your head doesn't get you all the way. Your head doesn't get you all the way. Your faith takes you the rest of the way. You have to believe. And then when you believe, that transforms your heart. And you start to understand your eyes are open to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. He is Lord. He is the one who can take care of sin and death for us. So let's jump back into the end of chapter 8 right after this. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. All right, time out. Wait a minute. (laughs) Jesus, you're the Messiah. We finally get it. We're ready. And, of course, back then they believed a lot of things about what the Messiah would do, but they certainly believed that the Messiah was going to reunify Israel, that Israel would take his place as prominence in the world. They would become the nation of all nations. There was all this hope of victory over the evil Roman Empire and so on and so forth. And there there are all these human expectations of what the Messiah was going to do. And you have to think, as they looked at each other, in Caesarea Philippi, just like, yes, he is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the one that 
that we've all been waiting for. All these centuries, we've been waiting. Finally, he's the one. We are going to go. We're going to make a difference. We're going to be in the place of power now. We're no longer going to be the ones stepped on. We're going to be the ones honored. Everything's about to change about our lives. And then Jesus says this, right? The Son of Man must suffer many things. You're right. I am the Messiah, and I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the religious elite. And I'm going to be killed. And after three days, rise again. It's kind of like, you know, you've been watching March Madness, a lot of college basketball. It's such a fun time of year if you're a sports fan and a college fan, you know, watching all these teams and all these hopes and dreams. But imagine you have won all of your games and you're getting ready for the championship game and your star player, the captain of the team, comes up to you right before the game and says, our destiny is to lose. (laughs) Right? It wouldn't make any sense. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, and by the way, I'm I'm not going to be there really to lead you uh, the rest of the way. I mean, it it wouldn't compute. It, It wouldn't compute. And in the same way, you have to feel like when Jesus said this, it did not compute for them. What are you talking about? This is all about victory after all. We're, we're thinking the good news is about military victory, right? The good news of the Messiah. But you're telling us something. That, no way. No, no, we would never let that happen. We would never let you get taken and killed. Forget it. In fact, this is what Peter basically says to him. Verse 32, he spoke plain, he being Jesus, spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I mean, imagine the nerve on Peter. <laughs> like rebuking Jesus? I don't know if that's a great idea, but you can understand he just he really could not get his head around it. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Gosh, what a rough day. Like Peter, he gets the answer right. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus turns around and calls him Satan, like (laughs) seemingly in the next breath. I'm convinced this is the reason people are afraid to answer a question in Sunday school or in Bible study, (laughs) because somebody's afraid that the teacher's going to react like that. You're wrong. And not only are you wrong, get behind me, Satan. No, but, I mean, of course, what he was saying, did he think Peter was literally Satan? No, of course he didn't. But he thought that, uh, I mean, certainly Peter was opposing the plan of God. And anytime you do that, you are aligning yourself with Satan. You might as well be Satan, right? So he's, he's making a really aggressive and pretty harsh point and example of Peter. Like, you don't understand. This is everything. This is who I am. This is how it's supposed to go. All of your human concerns are just that. I am operating on a whole different level. I have a perspective that you can't even begin to understand. You're going to need to do what? Not comprehend it here, but comprehend it here. If you follow me, if you trust in me, if you have faith in me, you're going to see how all of this is going to work out. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must. And I want to pause there for a second. Because he had to think, everybody's like, All ears. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Okay, let's go. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the son of man that we've been talking about for so long. All right, let's go. What do we have to do? Finally, some clarity. (laughs) Finally, he's going to tell us 
how we can be in the in crowd, for sure. He's telling the crowd this. How can you be a disciple like these guys? All right. Whoever wants to be my disciple. So, right, no limits. Any of you can do it. Here's what's required. You must deny, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, although Jesus had not been crucified, they knew what a cross was. It was a common form of shameful punishment and death in the Roman Empire. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I don't know, Jesus, not a great message. I don't know how you're going to get a whole bunch of followers doing that. He's not done. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We've been talking about discipleship is an apprenticeship program, but the way of the cross is not about human expectations. It's not about human glory. That's why I think I I struggle so much with sometimes when pastors or churches have this message that's like, you know, God died on the cross so that you can live the best life that you can now. And that best life means, you know, health, wealth, and happiness. That, you know, you're going you're gonna to flourish and you're going to get that. If you just pray hard enough, you're going to get that big house and you're going to get that big promotion because God wants to fill you with all these good things. And there's truth in that. But I think that truth is always in tension with this fact that the way of the cross is not about human expectations or human glory. It's about kingdom of God stuff. It's about glorifying God stuff. It's about other stuff than human stuff. And I think that's something that we just can't lose. We have to really understand that God's working on a different calculus. Jesus is working with a different calculus here. What you and I might perceive to be influence and impact, God says, no, that's not it. But I'll show you. I'll show you what real influence and impact is by what I do. Now, all of this is really starting to culminate in a big climactic moment that is really one of the major touch points of Jesus' life. And you'll see that come up right now. It's the transfiguration. The transfiguration is like a preview of the resurrected Jesus to come, the glorified Jesus to come. And it's a really um, important moment. There's a lot of symbolism happening here. And there were a couple of disciples that got to witness it. So here we go. This is where we get into chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There... He was transfigured before them. And that it's just what it sounds like. He transformed. He changed. His appearance changed. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, my goodness, so there's a whole bunch of symbolism happening here and the reasons why Moses and Elijah were both there. A, a traditional interpretation of this is that Moses represented the law Elijah represented the prophets, but it's even more complicated than that. But it, I, think, I think that's good enough for our understanding now that everything that God had done in the past had been bearing witness to this thing God was going to do in Jesus Christ, that it was the continuation, the completion of the story that the law and the prophets were testifying to, Jesus's divine nature. And in this moment, we again, we get a preview of the resurrected Jesus 
we get a sense of the divine Jesus, not just Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, as he is revealed in this, in this oh my gosh, I can't, this blinding display of his transfiguration. Peter said to Jesus, which incidentally, I can't even imagine getting my head around this moment or what am I supposed to make of it? Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> I love that reaction of Peter. Um, uh, you guys need a house? <laughs> you guys want to, let me set up some tents. So, so we all got, yeah, what should we do, guys? Yeah, yeah, tents, tents, good idea. <laughs> so, you know, he had no idea what was going on. But he was trying. He was trying to engage. He was trying to understand it. But I, I love it. I just feel like, yeah, that would be me. Like, I don't know. Well, what should we do? I don't know. Do we have something to eat? Uh, uh, hey, guys, you hungry? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to participate in what I'm watching right now. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now, who was that message for? It was clearly for the disciples. It wasn't for Moses and Elijah. They got to hear the voice of the Father. And remember why this is all happening. Because these disciples, these regular men, would be the ones to carry the mission of God forward when Jesus left, when he ascended into heaven. He's got, they're God's plan A for the world. And so they needed to understand exactly who Jesus was. And, you know, Jesus could say it all day long and he could perform miracles, but unless you see it with your own eyes, his transfiguration, it's hard to believe. Even then, I'm not even sure what the heck was going through their heads, but they hear this voice. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Again, one of the things that gets asked a lot is, well, why is Jesus always telling people, don't say anything? You find out who I am, don't say anything. He even says that to, as he's casting out demons. He even tells the demons not to say anything about who he was. Why? Well, this is a whole thing that a lot of ink has been spilled on about the, the messianic secret. Uh, sometimes it's called. But the idea that Jesus, until he feels the time is right, doesn't want to reveal his cards, doesn't want to reveal who he is. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. I happen to subscribe to the reason being that if Jesus started telling everybody that he believed he was the Son of God, I think he would have been arrested way earlier. I think it would have shortened his ministry, and he clearly felt like he wanted more time to teach and to preach and to heal and to do these things. Because again, you know, it'd be a charges of blasphemy, just like he was arrested in the garden that night. So, uh, verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I mean, you have to understand, no religious idea really talked about resurrection. Of the many religious ideas during the time of Jesus, including those of the Jewish people, resurrection was not really in their vocabulary. Remember, it was all about what you earn to make your way to God. But resurrection, it's like, that was, they didn't know what he was talking about. What's rising from the dead mean? What's it going to mean that Jesus is going to die and rise again? And I think this helps us understand why there was confusion and lack of faith at the time of Jesus' death. I just don't know that they really understood what he was talking about. But again, what have we been saying this whole time? 
the way for our hearts to transform, the way for us to receive this kingdom of God that's breaking through, this good news, the greatest news that humans could ever hear, that Jesus died for us, that we could be forgiven of sin and be with God forever. The, the key that unlocks that door is faith. And we move from a place of hardened hearts to free hearts, hearts that beat in rhythm with Jesus. The bottom line is, compared to all religious ideas, Jesus is different. Jesus is different. He's the only one that comes down the stairway to us. It's the only way that says it's not about what you do or don't do. Yes, what you do matters. I want you to live and to love people, love one another. That's a command that we get. But salvation, eternity with God, is all something that Jesus does for us. Jesus comes down and says, you just need faith. Faith that I'm exactly who I say that I am. And you'll be forgiven. You'll be free. And everybody's welcome. I don't care what religious persuasion you come from. I don't care what country you come from. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care uh, your ethnicity. I don't care your gender. I don't care any of this. If you put your faith in me, you will experience the breaking news. This just in. Through faith, you receive the kingdom of God as it's breaking through to you. We talked about this last week, but I want to ask you again, if you feel like you've never opened your heart to Jesus, why not today? Now, how do you do that? You just say a prayer. God, I believe in you. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe you are the Messiah and that through you I can be forgiven. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, or maybe you have and you just want to recommit yourself, I want to encourage you to do that today during our prayer time, or maybe right now. Maybe just hit pause in this whole service and just pray to God. And I'll tell you this, will you email me? Reach out to me if this is a prayer that you've made for the first time. I'd love to follow up with you and just talk about what are some next steps in your faith. Listen, this is the breaking news of all breaking news. The stakes have never been higher. Your salvation has already been earned, not by you, but by the one who laid down his life for it. This just in, everything has changed, and it could change for you too. Amen. <laughs>